welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Before I get into things, I just want to address the bathrobe in the room. Um, It's been a while since uh, we've discussed the concept of the bathrobe, and uh, when I was, I don't know how old I was, my sister Crystal, who's the youngest in our family, she, I don't know, she went through like a Princess Diaries phase. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Okay, so this one character, like just partway through the movie, he's like the neighbor who's like a writer, and he always shows up outside wearing his bathrobe. Um, and anytime you kind of see a bathrobe in the movies or whatever, it's almost always to like signify that whoever's wearing it just, they just do not have their life together. <laughs> and so for me, I wear a bathrobe sometimes when I feel like I need to just ha- have a hug. And so my bathroom's sort of like a hug, but it's also sort of like a symbol that like, I'm not feeling super great. And there's a massive temptation that I face, I think all of us probably can relate to this, but of, you want to kind of project a certain image. You want to make people to look at you and some of, some of us want people's eyes just to glaze right past. We don't want to get too much attention. Other people want attention. I'm probably more the second one. Um, <laughs> You have to laugh so fast at that. <laughs> um, and for me, at least, I wanted to get attention. I want to make sure I'm getting attention for the right reasons. And a bathrobe was not usually the right reason. And so that's one of the reasons I, I that's the only reason I'm wearing this today is because it's been a bathrobe kind of week. It's been a bathrobe kind of month. June is just generally a very, very busy month um, for a lot of us. Um, my wife's birthday is June the 5th, and my birthday is June the 7th, and then my daughter's Piper our firstborn, she's June the 8th. I'll never forget, we were sitting in a financial seminar uh, on June the 7th, this is my birthday, and Sarah was having contractions, and I still have the piece of paper where I'm like writing down the times and thinking, you know, this is the last birthday that's ever going to be completely about me. The rest of them are going to be kind of about Piper's birthday tomorrow. I didn't know it was going to be tomorrow at the time, but... Um, and then Piper also graduated from grade 8 this year, which just blows my mind. Uh, and then our anniversary, is this 16 years? Is this coming Friday? And this like school ending, it's like, there's just, it's just, it's a crush. It's a crush of things. None of them are bad things, but they're just a lot. And there's also some things that have happened this week for the Gordon family at large. Um, some things we've learned that have been very, uh, fairly difficult for a lot of us. And that's been weighing very, very heavy on my heart. Um, it's been made, made it very difficult to, Enjoy the great moments. Um, and it's kind of like sapped some of the life out of those things. And also knowing I'm preaching today, and then by some wonderful miracle of scheduling, Sarah was on uh, violin, which usually if those two things are happening the same day, we try to make that not happen because it's just a lot. We've got five kids. If we get to church on time, it's just the Lord is, well, he's good all the time. But, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, but I just, we both felt this morning, we're like, okay, or it's not this morning, earlier this week, like, okay, we're both scheduled, like, uh, and we just both felt like God was saying, no, I want you both on it. Um, 
And just to see Sarah up there playing today, I mean. I was saying, not many things bring me to tears, but those who know me well, don't know that's not totally true. <laughs> uh, I'm also not really afraid of crying um, too much. So anyways, all that being said, it's been a bathroom kind of week, and um, I was sharing with some of the other elders, is like, boy, I feel like this is going to be more of a raw day. And uh, Ross's response was like, a raw Josh is Josh at his best. And I just felt like that was like such a beautiful thing for me to hear. And it just reminded me that like, that's what New Life Fellowship is to be. It's to be a place where we can feel totally safe. And the thing that I have to believe every time I put a bathrobe on, every time I get up in front of people, every time I step into something that makes me uncomfortable, is that it has to be an act of faith in the safety of the community. Because sometimes we go into things we don't feel safe. But that doesn't matter how we feel, because the reality is that I am safe everywhere I go. And so for me, wearing a bathrobe or, you know, whatever, um, it's like a, it's a, it's a testament to the safety of our community. It's a testament to the trust I'm putting in the people around me. And I look at what New Life Fellowship has meant for me personally in the last, you know, four plus years, and it's been a greenhouse. I can see my heart has just grown and God has shown me his love in such beautiful, powerful, powerful ways. Um, so this morning, I want to talk about um, my father. Um, and so a sermon today is titled The Portrait of My Father, Learning to See God More Clearly. And uh, a lot of you actually probably know my dad. It's the picture up there. That's Jim Gordon. You can all give a hand for Jim. So my dad's a pastor as well, and he's preaching today, and just really messed his head. I invited him to come and hear me preach. <laughs> and I've used this joke two times already, and it's gotten a great result, so I'm, we'll see how good you guys do. It was like, I said, now that dad's not here, there's a whole bunch of extra things I can preach on. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Anyways. Um, my dad, uh, so yeah, he's also a pastor. He's a pastor of the Lower Road Christian Fellowship. Actually, Lower Road is uh, the church that really helped get New Life get um, kind of rooted well here, uh, kind of the, the planting church for us. And he has obviously been in my life for a very, very long time, as far as I can remember. Um, <laughs> he's had a lot, really big impact in my life. Um, not some of the impact has not been like directly from him. It's sort of been like circumstantial. So uh, we have a large family. So there's a, just to prove that it's. So my dad's in the middle there and I'm the most good looking on my left. You're right. That's why uh, I've got my, what kid is that on my, one of my kids is on my shoulders. Anyway, large families, just nine kids. Um, so I'm the second oldest. I have an older sister, Elizabeth, and then there's a, my youngest sister, Crystal, at the bottom. There's seven boys in the middle. So my dad was a pastor, and he took over uh, a lower Christian uh, fellowship, uh, the senior pastor position after my grandfather, so who's my mom's dad. And so I'm the oldest son, and so my whole life, people have been saying, oh, Josh, you're going to be a pastor someday. And for a long time, that was great. <laughs> but then I kind of went through a phase uh, where I just did not want to be a pastor at all. I just, I just pushed it against it and kicked against it. Um, I ended up going to school uh, in Calgary, the Bible college out there, and that's where I met my wife, Sarah. Uh, our parents were elated to find out that both of us were from Ontario, so we both we moved back here in time to have Piper. 
Um, but through my college years, I definitely felt like I was supposed to move in the pastoral direction. Um, but I had some really brutal experiences within uh, my my within school, and then also in some of the internships I had. I remember swearing to myself, you know, in the appropriate way. Um, <laughs> Uh, that I would never, I'd never be a pastor. Like, I'm, not, I'm never doing it. And, uh, well, you know, it's a bathrobe kind of day. So, um, I, I look at my life and I see that my father has had a massive impact. And that's the kind of thing with fathers, is they have a huge impact. It's hard to overstate the impact that a father can have on your life, you know? Uh, some, some good and some not. For, I think for most of us, it's a blend. Uh, I think, and ideally, there's as much of a good impact as there is a negative. Um, but for a lot of us, it's not, it's not that way. Some of us have a lot more of a difficult relationship with their father. Um, I, when I think about my dad and I think about, uh, think about my childhood, think about like, what I've seen of him as I've grown older too, I just think he's such a godly man. Uh, full of character, full of compassion, uh, full of wisdom. And it's hard-earned, like very hard-earned wisdom. Um, just thinking about, you know, the last 10 years of, you know, as I've, so I just turned 38, so, okay, in the last, last while, uh, the things I've seen, I've seen my dad um, leading a church through COVID, but that's been uh, exceedingly difficult um, for a lower road and for, for a lot of churches. Um, there have been some like legal issues that have come up. There have been some scandals that have come up, none of which have touched dad directly, but he's had to shepherd a church and a private school through that. I've just seen so much strength from my father. And when I think back to being a kid too, I just have all these like, like weird memories that pop up. Um, I was trying to share some with my siblings, but a lot of the siblings were, are, like, were born after these memories took place. But I remember uh, after dinner sometimes, I'll, We'd like go under the table and like try to like trap my dad's feet with our hands. I know it's riveting. It's a great game. And then he would like you know move his feet around. It was it you had to be there. Um, <laughs> I also remember him like it's not going to look impressive because I'm wearing a I'm wearing a bathrobe, which is kind of the point, I guess. But like after dinner, sometimes he would like sit back and like put his hands on his head and he like bounce his biceps. <laughs> and we'd have to guess what song he was bouncing it to, and that was <laughs> I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a great thing. I do it for my, actually, I should start doing it for my kids. They would just laugh now. That's the thing. Um, <laughs> he also had this game which blew my mind at the time, and it still does today. But when I think about it, like we, we would sometimes just open the book, Bible to the book of Psalms and just like start reading one of the Psalms, and he would try and guess what Psalm it was. And he was right, probably 50-50, which blows my mind. Um, but it also speaks to how much my dad loves the Lord and how much, like how much he's a student of, of the scriptures. And it has been, it's been very humbling for me to, to watch my dad as he's pastored and as he's led a church and led our family through some very, very challenging, difficult times. There's also been some very uncomfortable moments in my relationship with my dad. Most of them he wasn't around for. Uh, I was in a counseling office with a counselor who should not be named. It was Ross. Uh, <laughs> And kind of coming to a few like realizations and seeing that, man, uh, now that I'm growing up, I kind of disagree with some of my dad's parenting decisions. Like that was like a very odd, like the kind of environment that like the church environment that I grew up in, like you did not question leadership. 
ever. Like you respected God's authority all the time, which has kind of messed me up in some areas, some ways. Um, but we've come to a place where like, oh man, I think I disagree with how my dad parented me. Like, ooh, that just felt so, ugh, felt even saying it out loud now, difficult. Um, there were definitely times where I've disagreed with my dad about his leadership decisions as a pastor. Um, that's been very hard. Um, and, but also looking at my own life and looking at some of the wounds that I carry and some of the difficult parts of myself that I don't really want to go, I don't want to go, um, go, don't want to go down some of those rabbit holes. And I can see that I look at him like, ooh, I feel like my dad might be kind of responsible for some of those things. And God's taken me, come, brought me to a place where uh, he's teaching me something right now that has brought enormous freedom to me, both as a dad, but being a dad myself, but also in a relationship with my own father. And as I'm kind of coming to grips with what it looks like to be a son, you know, now that I'm in like my mid-late 30s, um, and that's this. We all have a deep, deep need for a perfect father. We were born that way. My need for a perfect father began the day that I was conceived, which was nine months to the day before June 7th. And I don't want to think about that anymore. <laughs> okay, so side note, I, this is not my notes at all. <laughs> it's too late. I have to, I can't stop now. Um, my mom and dad, they had a, uh, a website called The Intimate Couple. Growing, like, not grow, like, and it, they probably started it when I was, like, my mid-teens. And it was all about having a great sex life as a couple. <sighs> yeah, I know. I was 15. And imagine, you know, that's, anyways, I thought might be one of the things, I, maybe I should talk to Ross about this after, now that I think about it. <laughs> anyway. I think there's a lot of new people here coming for the first time. Like, oh boy, I just, <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'm not sorry. This is like a true glimpse of me and New Life Fellowship. And just being honest, just being myself. So um, my need for perfect father began the day that I was conceived. And my earthly father was never intended to be that for me. And that has brought me an enormous amount of freedom as a dad. Because... I have this idea floating around my head where I have no idea where I picked it up, but the idea was like, I need to represent God to my child. Because if I don't, then my kids get screwed up in how they think about God. And the insidious thing about that lie is that it's, there's partial truth in there, in the sense that, and something else I learned in the counseling office, is that the flesh offers me a choice from a very young age, probably for me, even before I was aware it was a choice. But it says, hey, the stuff that's going on in your family life, the stuff that's going on with your mom, with your dad, those actually are reflective of your relationship with God. And so, Josh, here's some things that are true about you, you know, based on how you perceive your dad's treating you, based on how you perceive your family environment is. And the flesh offers me all these lies, and I just kind of accept them. They just become part of how I see the world, become part of how I see God or how I see men or women. Or It just in, 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 infects everything. And when I saw for the first time that my concept of God had been colored and influenced and impacted by how my earthly father related to me, by how my 
um, the authority figures in my life at an early age related to me, but like my, what my family environment was like, all those things together kind of had an impact on my concept of God. Well, right away, I felt like, I felt God kind of rush in and say, hey, let me introduce you to me. Let me introduce myself to you again, like for the first time, you know? And let me introduce you to me on, on my own terms. And I think that's actually an invitation that he extends to all of us. So, you know, you, we have these ideas about who God, who God is and what he's like, and they've kind of been colored for good or for not by, you know, what our childhood was like, you know, that type of thing. And God's been sort of introducing himself to me for quite a long time. And there's a handful of lies that have been part of, part of how I operate for a very long time. And I want to kind of move through a handful of these. Um, and we'll start kind of like looking at some specific scriptures. And then I have some things that God said to me that I've put together in slides. So we'll kind of be showing up behind me. Um, and before we do that, I mean, technically I should have prayed I definitely should have. You guys are all with me on this. I should have prayed at the very beginning, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pray right now because um, I think well, I think I need it. I think all of us need it. But Father, that is the right thing to call you because you are my Father. You're my perfect Father, and thank you for for the beautiful truth that you want to meet me and introduce to me yourself to me and earn my trust, which blows my mind. And you want to do that on your terms and directly to me and, and directly to each one of us. Um, thank you for the beautiful truth. And I ask, Father, that um, your spirit, um, make yourself really obvious to me. I'm not super sensitive all the time. So help me to hear the things that you want me to say. Help me to, to hold back in the things uh, that I shouldn't say. I want this to be something where you are... You're the sculptor of this, of this message that I have to share, that we have to share together. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Um, thank you for the safety that you are for me. Amen. All right. Well, the first verse I want to hit on here is in Matthew. Matthew 14, uh, chapters 25 to 33. Oh, never mind. Back up, guys. Notes are in the wrong order. Okay. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, you know what's a great chapter. Um, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You know, if you've heard these psalms, it says Selah or Selah. So like a musical interlude. That's basically what that was right there. Perfect. Fred, this is, no, this is now the Josh and Fred show. Or it's the Jesus show. Okay, I should have... I should pray again. That's what I should do. All right. Oh, man. This verse has been something that's very important for all of us. It's been very, very important to me. And there's been a few things that God has spoken to me and he's highlighted to me through this specific, um, uh, this specific passage. So the first thing is that he says, you know, we've been saved through faith and this is not our own doing. It's a gift of God. That's always stood out to me in a huge way. The second thing that's always stood out to me is this is in verse 10. We are his workmanship. 
um, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. One of the things that I just internalized, uh, one of the lies I believed is that like, I am responsible for my own personal development and uh, my own personal growth. And that if I just sit and do nothing, then I'm actually going to atrophy. I'm going to wither away. I'm not going to, and that if I don't actively push myself forward and try to make myself better, then I'm actually becoming worse. It's almost like God is moving at a pace. And if I don't keep up with him, then I'm actually going to fall behind. And I don't know where that lie came from, um, but there's a few really important truths that God has been speaking to me um, about about this. He's kind of been the, the, the lie that I'm responsible for my performance, my development, I'm also responsible for my own screw-ups, and my past failures are a limitation on what God can do for me and through me today. Um, something that has caused me enormous guilt and enormous shame through the years, knowing that the ways that I've screwed up are now a cramp on what God can do. You know, it's like there's an asterisk beside my name. It's like, you know, there's Josh Gordon could have been so great, but because of this thing and that thing and the other thing. And we've actually listed all as a very, very long list of things that I'm very ashamed of. Um, and some of you might be thinking, like, well, I doubt the things he's done are as bad as the things I've done. And that might be true. It might not be true. But one of the other lies the flesh has is it says the things that you've done disqualify you, Right? It's like you carry scar tissue in your life, and because of that scar tissue, there's certain things you can never have or never do. And one of the major things that God has been speaking to me, he says, Josh, you are not too scarred. We can go to the first slide, or not the first, whatever, number, the next slide, there we go. You are not too scarred. I delight in you. Josh, not only am I capable of fixing the sort of wrong that you are afraid you are, but I'm also willing to do so. And you're farther, farther forward in your progress than you think you are. One of the reasons I just love this picture is um, the, uh, uh, in, I think it's ancient Chinese culture, that they would take broken jars or pots or whatever, and that had cracked, and they'd repair it with gold. And so all the cracks are highlighted. And you actually take what was broken, you actually elevate the value of the thing through the repair of it. And knowing that God can take the things that I've screwed up, the relationships with my kids, the things that I've said to my kids, like I just think even this past weekend, <laughs> this past weekend, we're in this weekend, uh, the past, past few days, um, carrying some very heavy burdens, and uh, I can't remember what the situation was, or uh, but it was our second oldest, Vienna. She she said something, or she was trying to figure something out. I like snapped at her, like so fast, and I just I, I didn't like cut her down or anything like that. But at the same time, it was like we have like I want my kids to have an environment where they can be free to come to me and say what they're thinking and know that I want to hear it. But in that moment, I didn't want to hear it, and it was very clear to her. And it, like, it shut her down just like that. And I could see it on her face, like kind of like a shock. Oh, man. So like going back and apologizing for that, that's actually something I learned from my dad. Like the number of times I can think back to being a kid and my dad would come down and kneel in front of me and say, Josh, 
I said this thing to you before, man, and I'm so sorry. I should not have said that. Will you forgive me? Like, that was a, not an uncommon thing in my family. Like, like, I learned that from my dad. My dad taught me that. But it's still, I friggin' hate having to do that to my kid. Like, just sort of there's like the humbling myself aspect, but also knowing what I've done to her. Like, man, that sucks. But also God promises that she's not too scarred. And he says that he's going to work all things together for good. And so that's like a great safety net that I rely on that as I'm doing the best I know how as a dad, the inevitable damage that my kids are going to take, not just for me, but for the world around me, he's promising that he's going to be there to resolve that with her on his terms. And that's going to be something that he's going to interact. It's going to be a bridge between Vienna and between him. And he's going to show and relate himself to her in a very special way. Well, it's like the, that's like the gold in the cracks. Another big thing, another big uh, truth that God's been teaching to me through this idea is that, you know, I am his workmanship. He is responsible for me. He is responsible for my, my development. He is responsible for what I become. Uh, he's responsible. It's, I just need to show up and trust that he's going to be enough for me in this moment standing in front of people, or he's enough for me alone waiting for the service to start. Even though I've got like kids hanging off me, I'm like sitting there like, I know, okay, I'm counting down in my head. There's minutes until I'm going to get up there. I'm kind of freaking out inside, but he promises he's going to be enough for me in that very moment that I don't have to try to impress people. And that's the next slide. Another thing God said to me, it's like, don't attempt to impress. Don't attempt to impress. In the very bottom corner, just down there, kind of in the faded blue, be simply you, right? Jesus is enough for me, and Jesus in me is going to be enough for people around me. This is true. And I can just sit and I just kind of marinate in that truth, is that I don't have to try to impress. Like, the amount of freedom that that brings, like, just think for a second. Like, think for my life going through how many, how many interactions that I have with people or that I don't have, like, that I imagine I might have with people. I'm like, okay, how am I going to, like make sure I don't come across the wrong way. Like I've been pretty, uh, <laughs> I've been sensitive about my weight for a long time. It's something I've struggled with. Like body image stuff has always been a, a struggle for me. And one of the things that I just think about is like, like what do I look like from like the back and three quarters version? Like, do I look cool? Like, I hope I look cool. <laughs> and it's like, there's all these like, it's like silly. It's like kind of embarrassing to admit it, but it's like, like, is my hat on the right angle? Like, is, do I have to like, is it straight, like straight, like all the stupid things, like, and it's all of it is, I wanna be impressive. I don't, I wanna look like somebody that is cool. And I wanna, I wanna be a somebody that's, that's worth looking up to for my kids, for whoever. It's like, that's a constant, I wanna be respected. That's what it is, I think. I wanna be respected, I wanna be valued. And so I need to project a certain image. And what God's saying is like that desire, the desire to be valued is not a bad desire. It's a good desire. But the, the flesh says, here are a list of things, Josh, that you can do. Here's a way you can present yourself to make sure that you can get that need met by people around you. But it's like, okay, you are now worthy of respect. And Jesus is like, no, Josh, <laughs> that's sinful. Just be yourself. Don't attempt to impress. Be simply you. And that's something my father, back to my earthly, earthly father, Jeff tells me this too. It's like, my, that's something my heavenly father says, you do not need to impress anybody. 
You just look to me, just be simply you. The next huge lie that's uh, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 that's really been dismantling for me is a lie that I need, to be, I need to be better. You know, I'm falling behind. You know, I'm a poor steward of my potential. I, I, I need to be better. I'm letting people down. I'm letting, I'm letting God down because I could be so good. That was something I heard a lot as a kid. It's like, oh, Josh has so much potential. That's like every report card. <laughs> I could like track every class in high school and I sort of had it down by the time I was in grade 12. I managed to cultivate a relate, well, I feel like I did, and maybe I didn't. Maybe people saw it right through me, probably. Uh, see, this goes through my head, and you're just seeing it. Um, I, would, I would, like the first like two and a half, three weeks of, of class, I would make sure I would engage the teacher, like raise my hand uh, to answer questions, always do homework. And I could like put up that effort for like three, four weeks, no problem. But then I would get so bored uh, and not like school was too, I was too advanced for school. Not like that at all, at all. It was like, I just didn't want to do homework anymore, but I'd managed to create this perception. People like, oh, well, Josh is a keener. He's super smart because I would engage. I did the things that all the smart people would do. But then I'd like, then my true colors would show and I'd just kind of start slacking off. wouldn't do my homework, but I managed to sort of like ride the coattails of that reputation for the first three to four weeks of class through the whole school, for the whole year. Uh, and so teachers would write consistently, like, Josh has so much potential. If only he would apply himself more. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Richard? <laughs> Just because your kid was dedicated doesn't mean I'm not... We'll talk after. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> classic, classic Josh. Vintage Josh. If only he'd apply himself more. Like over and over and over again. That's what I heard. And it seeps in, man. It seeps in. And this idea that I'm falling behind. But that's not true. It's not true. Uh, that's what this next slide is about. Something God's been speaking to me very, very clearly. It says, Josh, you are on step X of your journey. And everything is going according to my plan. Small, small text here, guys. I prepared all of this in advance for you and all that you have, all that is required of you is to stick close. All I have to do is stick close to Jesus. Um, that's what the word abiding means. You know, we're called to abide. It's at every moment close with Jesus. You know, if he's my mentor, he's the one who's responsible for Helping me develop, helping me grow, helping me to like you reach the next level. Whatever phraseology maybe sticks out in your mind from your childhood, he's responsible for that. And all I have to do is just live with him in every moment. And as things come up, it's like, all right, Jesus, what are we doing with this? How do you want me to handle this? What happens is, is over time, our hearts soften. Our sensitivity to other people increases. Our, um, our willingness to to be patient with people increases. And we start to develop and show the fruits of the Spirit because they're fruits. You know, it's not the... I can't think of any other word other than fruit right now. I'm thinking of a, trying to think of a word that means something that you, you build with your own hands. Just birdhouse. I want, it's not like the birdhouse, the Spirit, where you got to like measure and cut and build and all that. It's like, no, it's like, no, it's a fruit. It comes naturally as you're plugged into the vine. As you're plugged into Jesus, you're abiding day by day by day, moment by moment, minute by minute with Jesus. 
right? One thing I like to tell my kids, just because I tell myself, is like, Jesus is enough for me right now. He's not enough for me tomorrow. He's enough for me right now. But also, he's waiting for me in tomorrow. So it's like, as I'm moving forward, like, he's there. All I have to do is stick close. I'm on step X of my journey. Everything is going according to his plan. And that brings me enormous, enormous peace. The next, the next truth um, is uh, a response to a, or is, a, is Jesus dismantling this, uh, I think it's a very fundamental a struggle that I have, which is like a response to pressure. And, you know, there's the fight or flight response people get. I think there's a third one, it's like freeze. Because I get like, depending on the situation, by freeze a lot of the time. Uh, can you, how, uh, whatever, if you guys can't read it, I'm sorry. Uh, I actually will give these graphics to anybody who wants them. Just come up to me and talk after and I'll get your email address. But um, it says, Josh, I'm not asking you to succeed. I'm asking you to simply show up. The outcome is not your responsibility. Fear is an option for sure, but it's not necessary. And I don't know what it is about the idea that fear is an option for me. Like that just takes the power away. It's like, okay, I'm allowed to be afraid if I want to, but I can also choose just to show up knowing that he is responsible for the outcome and I'm responsible uh, to trust him in each moment and to follow where he leads me. The next uh, verse that God's passage is Matthew 14, 25 to 33. You're probably really surprised to hear me say that. Um, this is a story of Peter, uh, Peter uh, stepping over the side of the boat. When Jesus comes into the storm, like they're, all the disciples are freaking out. They think it's uh, some super, you know, supernatural, paranormal entity. They think it's a ghost or something like that. And Jesus says, no, it's I, it's me. It says, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Um, this is picking up at the part way through verse 29. So Jesus, he said, Peter says to Jesus, hey, if that's you, then call me out. Like, tell me to come. Everybody's like, that's the dumbest thing to say to a ghost. It's like, if you're who I think you are, like, do this. Anyways, uh, Jesus says, yeah, come on out. So Peter gets over the side and he walks on the water to come towards Jesus. But then Peter, seeing the wind, becomes frightened and begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Like, I wonder how long that walk back to the boat felt for Peter. <laughs> it's like Jesus lifts you up and like, okay, now I'm walking on the water again, back over the side of the boat. It's just a, just, just a weird thing to think about. Um, but I can really relate because I've got that flight or, flight, flight or fight or fear or freeze. That's all influenced by fear. And I just like, I just, it's so easy to me to get distracted or to like for the wind or the waves. And so you can actually pop the next slide up. Like what Jesus is saying to me is he's saying, Josh, keep your eyes on me. Don't look at the wild storm of the shrinking bank account or the threatening waves of scary what ifs or the harsh winds of rejection and doubt. As the flesh drops ideas into your very fertile imagination, hold tight to my word. And you know, this last two days have been this for me so much. I have carried a heavy weight in my soul, in my heart, because of what's been going on in our extended family. Uh, it's been very difficult and very heavy, mixed with like weird sense of disappointment in myself that 
Sarah's birthday wasn't special enough or looking ahead to this week, say, oh man, I wish we could do this and that. And the other thing for our anniversary or man, like, oh, Piper felt like her, her the graduation and things we did were enough for her. Like, like the flesh doesn't give me a friggin' second to just relax. The flesh doesn't do that ever. It's always there just nattering away. And it's so, and I just, I get distracted and I, and I get, I, and then I start to feel just like this heaviness, this weight and yesterday, I just felt so tired and so worn down. And the thought of like preaching was like, oh man. And then I like, I started looking through this artwork and looking at these messages and it felt like God was just like calming my spirit. It's like every one of these things for me, is just something like, hey, he's like, like, it's like a, the gentle, you know, warm hand on my chin, like kind of pop, like pulling my head up and like redirecting my gaze back into his face. Because what the flesh wants to do the enemy has one tactic, one tactic. There's one thing it does, which is it lies. And the outcome, he's got one thing he's looking for. He wants me to look anywhere but in Jesus' eyes. Anywhere else. Where it's looking at the f- terrible things that might come, like the, the fear. Maybe he wants me to look into the future, right? With anxiety and think about the, the scary things that might happen. Maybe he wants me to look into the past with regret. Right, looking at the ways I've screwed up, the way that my, my scar tissue. But Jesus is saying, no, keep your eyes on me right now. Keep your eyes on me. That's what he's saying to me over and over again. And what I'm and as I'm what I'm starting to experience more and more is like as I choose to like to focus on what he has for me, then the things of this earth, things of this world grow strangely dim. You know, there's like that old chorus that maybe some of us remember. The things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and the light of his grace. And Jesus is much bigger and much more powerful than anything we can go through. But I freeze up and I just, I don't want to see anything. So I close, like, it's like, it was like kind of leads perfectly to the next, the next slide. It's, just, it's like Jesus is saying, Josh, I really, I want to show you beauty. I want to show you beauty in the midst of what you're going through. But your eyes are squeezed shut. It's like, I'm just too afraid to look around. I'm too afraid because I, I, I want to ignore the, uh, the impending bills. I want to ignore, you know, the fact that clients haven't been responding. I want to ignore this or that or the other thing. And so I just try to shove everything away. So my eyes, I close my eyes tight. Maybe I do it physically. Maybe I do it by Rocket League. I love to play Rocket League. I'm at the all-star level now. And it's like video games, you know, uh, maybe some Netflix or Amazon Prime. I'm counting down the days for uh, the next season of Jack Ryan, June 30th. Uh, that's going to be great because, right? Or like, I'll just like go and let's sit by myself somewhere away from the kids or away from Sarah. And it's not like I want to be away from the kids or away from Sarah, but it's like, I just sit in my, my own space. My eyes are shut. But what God is saying to me is this. He says, would you, would you mind looking into my face? Because I want to show you incredible things. Tiny pictures that whisper in a subtle voice to your heart. Over the next little while, Josh, you'll be zooming out, gaining new, clear perspective on today. It is very beautiful, and it will be worth it. And the most important line, I bet my life on it. God bet on me. Like, he, was, he risked on me. And I don't think too much of the theology of that statement, because I don't think, for me, it's not, not intended to be like a doctrinal foundation, but just the idea that it's like, hey, listen, I... I did all of this so you have a chance to experience beauty in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the terror, in the midst of the fill-in-the-blank for yourself. And then the next slide as well. 
He says, Josh, I've got you. You are at your best when you're following me. Even when you're not convinced you're hearing me right, if you move in the direction you suspect I'm leading, I honor that. After all, how much faith you have doesn't matter. Who you put your faith in is most important. I am eager to be enough for you. I always, uh, as a kid, um, remember this, always hearing about you know, missionaries or moving you know, overseas. And I've, I've actually got a, a friend from college. Him and his wife actually attended our church last week. Um, and they're moving to Europe, to like one of the least churched countries in all of Europe. And they're working to kind of set up a Christian community. And I'm like, that is faith right there. Like the, the young version of me would have like, that is faith, 100%. Or so someone's like, you know what? I knew that God was leading me to do this. I knew that I was going to I had to, I was going to lose my friends or lose this, but I knew God was calling me, so I went there. It's like, I almost felt like faith was related to how much you were going to lose, I think. I'm just kind of like thinking about actually, I'm a verbal processor, so I'm actually thinking about that right now. It's like, I think it was tied to how much I was going to lose and how convicted I was that this was where God was leading me. But the reality is sometimes I just don't know. Like, I think God's leading me there, but it's like, God, give me a sign, like, help me to know. But he doesn't always do that. And part of it is because he wants to teach us to hear his voice. And so as we, like, like as we kind of, like, fall, it's like, I think God's telling me to lead here. I kind of want to go that direction, but I don't really know. And I'm like, it's like, take that step. Like, even if you suspect it's God leading you, if that's the reason you're going to go there, that's faith, man. Absolutely. And what happens is like God's waiting there for you, even if it wasn't like the right way. The reality is that he's, faith is not determined by the outcome. Faith is, deter, is determined by the reason why we do the thing, right? And if I'm doing it because I believe, I suspect this is where God's leading me, well, that's, that's counted to me as righteousness, right? And so, and the other thing is, is that sometimes it's, it's like, okay, Josh, so you just did that and you stepped forward and so, and and it worked out amazingly well, and, 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 or maybe it didn't work out well, but still, I have this sense of satisfaction and peace and fulfillment inside that God said, yeah, that was the thing I wanted. So now, Josh, think back to what you were feeling and like just the quality of the experience when, before you made this step. And like now you know the next time you experience something like that, that's actually me leading. And so as we like take a tentative step forward, it's like, I think God's leading me here, and like, I think he's leading me here. Well, as we pay attention to what that sensation is like, it's like, okay, no, that act, yeah, that's how we learn to hear his voice more and more clearly over time. The, the last passage I want to hit on is in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Uh, it's actually, I can read starting in verse 14, um, but therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This next slide has been extremely powerful in my life, this, this truth that Jesus has been speaking to me. Jesus is saying, there's nothing in your anxiety attack, in your overwhelm, in the adrenaline dump that's bigger 
than who I am or what I am capable of that. More, no, more than that, no experience you go through is foreign to me, he says. I am breathing with you. I'm feeling your pulse race. I know the nausea surging through the pit of your stomach. I know the tight knot that obstructs the deep breaths you attempt to take. And I'm not afraid of it. Perfect peace begins with looking past the anxiety into my eyes. There's just something so visceral and powerful and compelling about that to me. I didn't really understand my struggle with anxiety. I didn't know that I had anxiety until the last year and a half where kind of I was diagnosed with ADHD. And part of that psychiatrist told me it was like, sometimes you have anxiety too. And I was like, I was like, oh, what's that like? And he kind of described it. I was like, oh, oh yeah, I have that. And I look back on as experiences I had as a kid where it's like my extremities just go numb. I just feel like I'm just, everything's just like crushing down on me. And I, I, can't, I can't breathe, like kind of pass right here. And it's like, that was an anxiety attack. I had those when I was a kid. I just never had any way to, like, I didn't have words for it. And nobody talked about it. And so like, as a kid, you just kind of assume everyone, like, it's like having, I, I, I got glasses when I was eight. I just thought the whole world was just like, fuzzy things moving around without any edges to them, you know? And it was like, you just sort of assume that this is the way things are, but for everyone. And when I started to realize that Jesus knows what that experience is like, like the worst that we can experience, betrayal, abuse, um, the worst things that we can experience, Jesus knows. He knows what it's like. He can empathize with us. We're not alone in the midst of the fire. He is there with us. And he promises to be enough for us in that situation. He doesn't ever promise that we're not going to go through it. No, he says the perfect peace begins as we look into his eyes. I think it's in Isaiah, it says he will keep those in perfect peace whose minds are set on him. And like that is a, such a powerful thing. It's like, how do I keep my mind set on Christ? The reality is like, it's in moments like this, where there's like, there's the fire and the smoke. And it's like, Jesus knows what this is like. Jesus knows what this is like. He's like, hold on to that truth. And it's just, it's turned my life around. And so like, it hasn't made things any easier circumstances wise, but it's made the experience of going through anxiety and the experience of going through stress more manageable because God shows up for me there because I look in his face, I look in his eyes. The last two slides I have are sort of more like a response. Um, and the next one, this, the slide is a little, it's just a snippet of poetry um, that has bubbled up in my heart. It says, Father, be my wisdom when the choices all seem wrong and be my vision when the darkness stretches long. And will you walk beside me when I don't see what to do? My only shot at getting what I need is trusting you. And that's a prayer that we can all make to our perfect father. The last slide is, is one that's very meaningful to me as well. Uh, I love this picture. It's a, such a cool picture of like the bottom of a canyon, just looking up and I just see the sky. And, and um, I went through a period of depression, maybe four or five months ago, it was like more, more, uh, a more sustained experience with depression than I've had in a very long time. 
and just felt like everything was gray. Everything was, everything was beige, just the flat, most boring of the colors. Uh, nothing, everything felt flat. It felt like there was no taste in my life. It, was, it just felt like I just didn't want to do anything. Um, and I, I have this playlist of worship songs that just really seem to like touch something in my heart that I've got. And even those didn't seem to work very well. Um, and God started to bring back all these old hymns. When I was uh, grade like five or six, uh, my dad was my teacher for a couple of years. We can't tell if those were really good years or really bad years. A little bit of both. And one of the things, so I went to a small Christian school. Uh, it was like maybe like 40 kids away from technically being homeschooled. It was a very small school. And I, one of the things we had to do was like memorize hymns. <laughs> so every, every day we'd, we'd write a hymn out. And so there's some of those old hymns that I kind of forgotten about, but it was like, when peace like river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my, whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And this image, I look at it, and it's like the canyon walls represent just the towering problems that seem immovable. And there's a point in your life where there's not really any usefulness to trying to solve the situation because you just got to move through it. And it's like, I have to look past that and look up at the sky and say, regardless of what's going around, on around me, even if the worst thing happens, it's okay. It's well with my soul because God is good. And sometimes I don't really feel that. And the flesh would say, because you don't feel it, you probably don't believe it. But it's like, no, I'm choosing, I'm choosing to make this true for myself right now. It is well with my soul. Whatever the things that are, the, the waves that are coming at me, like just, I feel like I'm just, you know, just an inch above the water. The next big wave is probably going to take me down. It's like, it is well with my soul. It's like, just something about the idea of like looking past, looking above and saying, seeing like, the truth and the reality of, of who God is. He's my perfect father. My struggles, my failure, my bitterness, my cynical, my cynicism, my, my hatred, my fill in the blank, none of it is too bad or too big or too heavy for him. He's the only one that can handle me at my absolute worst. He's the only one. And that's, that's what faith is. Because at the end of the day, if we can't trust God with that, can we actually trust him? That's kind of a scary thought to say out loud. Like, I believe he is. I believe he is worthy of that trust. And one of the things that he's shown me is that he wants to earn my trust. And that feels like such a, just doesn't, part of me hates saying that because God shouldn't have to earn my trust. Like he died on the cross. He did all these great big things. But the reality is, at least for me, is that I have that very fleshly idea of like, what have you done for me lately? Right? And it's like, somehow in my head, there's like this disconnect. There's, and maybe it's because I'm such an emotional feelings person. It's like, there's a disconnect sometimes. It's like, okay, I understand theologically and intellectually what Jesus dying on the cross meant. But as far as I'm just stressed out past what I thought my max is, and the kids are being crazy, and the boys won't stop talking about poo, and they probably get that from their mother, let's be honest. <laughs> That's not true. They get it from me, absolutely. No question about it. 
like, it's like in that moment, it's like, <sighs> this feels so wrong to say, but, it, but I'm exposing the flesh's lies in my own head. It's like, what does the cross mean in that moment? Like, what does Jesus mean for me in this very moment? And the reality is like in that moment where everything is terrible and there's nothing good, it's like, that is me just seeing the waves and sinking below the surface. And what do I do? It's like, Lord, save me. That's all I can say sometimes. And he doesn't promise to fix the circumstances, but he promises to be peace to me. He promises to be my peace. He promises to me to be joy, even though my circumstances are screaming that I should be, be discouraged and lost. He promises to be my direction. He promises to be my wisdom. All the things that I deeply crave, he promises to answer my deepest questions, even in the midst of just the, the darkest, slipperiest, greasiest night. And that's, that's the portrait of my father that's been emerging. That's who he's been showing himself to me to be and proving himself to me to be. But he needed my permission to do that. It's because as long as I chose to keep up the facade that I erected between me and him, as long as I chose to keep that up there, then he's at arm's length and he can't really get in. But the moment I say, yes, introduce me, like, show me who you are. Like, man, he takes that very seriously. He always answered that prayer with like tears in his eyes, like a yes, yes, I can't wait to be enough for you. I can't wait to show you how I can be enough for you. And that's the invitation he has for all of us. And so if this is something that maybe you've never made that decision before, you've always sort of like held God at arm's length, well, this is a great day. <laughs> it's a great day to say, God, will you introduce yourself to me? Will you show me what you're really like? Will you help to break down the lies and the accumulated sort of detritus and, and garbage of my past that's like sort of clouding my vision of who you are? I promise you, he will say yes. I'm going to close with prayer. Um, and, but I also know if there's something that you want to talk through, uh, someone to get off your chest. I'm so happy to hear what you have to say. Uh, we've got Pastor Ross at the back and Pastor Greg over there as well. Um, more than happy to just be a listening ear, pray for you, whatever, whatever you need. Um, so we'll, but Father, oh, oh, you are a good father. You respect me, which blows my mind. And you're willing to, you're willing to engage with me at my level and you're willing to answer well, this, the questions that just feel so dumb. Like I feel, I just feel silly if you're even having the question, but it's not too small for you. And there's no accusation I can make that's too big for you, but nothing can scare you away. And you're, you're in this with me for the long haul. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for being the perfect father. I just, I love doing life with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. 
New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.